Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and in the words of Grady, are you mounting her nightly or what? And with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Jesse, something is trying to get inside me. <laughs> Mitch, this better keep it on theme. And uh, in the words of uh, Ken Walsh, you used a goddamn cherry bomb. That's what you did. <laughs> I guess that's kind of on theme still. I'll accept uh, no, it. I don't think it. I mean, you're just being you're turning things into euphemisms. That's just that's just like wholesome Americana that you're spitting into something. <laughs> the else. wholesome Americana of putting a bomb in a bird. Yeah, that's the wholesome Americana you're describing. I don't know. We live in different <laughs> That's how, you know, that's how you know that I'm Canadian. My birds are still alive. My birds if I, are If I were in America, bombed. they wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> Shit's fucking crazy down there. They, they put cherry bombs and everything. Tower the Creator made a whole album about it. Yeah, there's a Boy Meets World episode all about it. They were putting cherry bombs in the Boy Meets World? Sean, he blew up a mailbox in the 90s. Classic. That was some people's whole world. The classic sexism. Red glare, the birds bursting (laughs) in there. It's in the national anthem. That's true. That album. That 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 album. Imagine there was an American national anthem album. Um, Yeah, Betty Betty White or whoever made it fucking went off. The American national anthem is so much better than the Canadian one. I I disagree. I think they're accomplishing different goals. Yeah. Yeah, one is a good song, and the other is just, uh, just like a bunch what is of. It? It's just a bunch of monotonous trash. Is what it is. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. The American national anthem doesn't sound cool when you shred it like a guitar solo. So maybe they fucked up. You don't think so? I think sometimes people overdo it, and it sounds really dumb. Yeah, I think I think it's also like not the easiest thing to sing. Like it's kind of a. I don't know how it work, how well it works as an. Anthem. I think it's propaganda. It's kind of. I think it's kind of clunky. Oh, dude! I think I think the Canadian one is clunky because of how easy it is to sing. Like I think the American Maybe. one is is like so so <laughs> well, grand it's, it's like, and just it's actually a like a Fisher Price album or an album <laughs> anthem. That's right. Yeah, it's in our right. great British tradition of <laughs> acting like piss easy shit is important. Piss easy shit. <laughs> was fucking piss easy. It was. <laughs> All we did is roll up and we colonized the place we did. <laughs> anyway, happy platinum jubilee, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm dead, actually. Okay. Um. <laughs> she dies before this is released. You son of a bitch. This is, it's like, you know, sometimes podcasts are like, they name somebody and then like, if they die soon after, they're like, oh no, we willed that into existence. Like, a really tempting fate here. I've totally lost. What are you guys on about? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about uh, Queen Elizabeth II. How dare you? Um, <laughs> true. Yeah. Why, honestly, you read the you news? Mi- yeah, you might have willed her death into existence. We'll see. I just that does spit seem water everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you might have. 
Could've Corey, we, we haven't we, we didn't say at the beginning of this episode or anything when we're recording it, so you should just keep this episode <laughs> in the bank until the news <laughs> breaks and then release it. <laughs> oh yeah, we just re- we recorded this the other day. Let's call it bad timing. D- does someone want to check uh, the BBC really quick to see if see yeah, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna do that bbc.gov BBC homepage. Uh, you know what? I bet the BBC isn't even uh, the most. Gonna cover that. I'm, I'm going to isthequeendead.com. Is that a real website? I figured it would be, but no, it's not, dude. There's a lot of money to be made here. What fucking crazy disco just started playing? It's what she wants what is- played at her funeral. What is this? Palace has announced the death of His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> what is this? So that was actually played on BBC, like on their music channel, like, and they have like a like a. It's programmed to do that when a monarch dies, and it happens like right. Well, like it interrupts any programming. Yes, it that's interrupts happening. all of their broadcasting because they're a state broadcaster, and so it just conveniently interrupted it. What was at this like? The moment. BBC Music Techno Channel? Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Fuck, I'm gonna really send good. it. I'm gonna send it to you. That's, that's iconic. Incredible. Speaking of icons, we're here to talk about Freddy Krueger. Honestly, yeah, not much more American than Freddy Krueger. Nah, he's got the stripes. He's got the bloodlust. Yeah. He's got the homophobia. He's got the violent right. past. What more yeah. do you need? Disregard for children's well-being. Extremely. Kind of his whole brand, really. And uh, he haunts your dreams. And it's an American yeah. dream. Ronald Reagan also haunts my dreams. He won't leave. I need to get... It's a need really him. nationalistic podcast now. I need to get him to leave. Nationalistic? Mm-hmm. I didn't say it was good that Ronald Reagan was there. It's bad. No, but I'm saying that we're not Americans. We're, we're not. Taking, that's, we're taking yeah. snipes. We're yeah, playing it, yeah, from it, our, our smug high yeah, ground. Yeah, Mitch, it's a gimme. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're here to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge from 1985. And I'm pretty excited about this one. I feel like any... Friday the 13th sequel would have been a good choice, but... Friday the 13th would have been great. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel like any Nightmare on Elm Street sequel would have been a good choice. That's true. Less good than Friday the 13th. Still good. I disagree, but okay. It's fine. Um, but no, I, I gotta I, show I was... you part four, Corey. Final chapter, and then they made like part, eight I gotta show movies. you part four of both franchises, and your mind will quickly <laughs> be changed. <laughs> I haven't seen uh, Nightmare on Elm Street part four. Oh, I know. Is it bad? I, it's my least favorite. I'll tell you. Okay. That. Um, but so we we're talking about this one. Couldn't come at a better time. Uh, I hate to date this. Queen's probably still alive, but uh, we are recording this during Pride Month, which I'm sure the Queen maybe has mixed feelings about. I don't know. Um, just really coming at the Queen this episode. <laughs> and uh, this this one's widely considered the gay one as far as Nightmare on Elm Street movies goes. We're getting to it right on time. You know? Yeah, really couldn't this come is cool. Time. Yeah, good pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's also technically a gay one on this show now, so I guess we had to fucking start hitting quotas. That's right, yeah. 
Yeah. I like, like how you say. Gotta, I like how you you say so now like, as if as, yeah, if, as if it either like true. one it of was. us has transformed, <laughs> or like we've added a fourth co-host who we never let speak because he's the gay one. <laughs> but he's here. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess you're right. Like I wasn't. Yeah. Oh shit! I said it was me. Now the game's over. Now nobody can have fun wow. guessing. Yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that 10 second who done it. <laughs> No, but yeah, this is this is really cool. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna try to wrangle back from this d- disaster of a bit. Yeah. Um. Jeez, thanks, Mitch. Uh. Okay, <laughs> now you have to talk. <laughs> I have to talk. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay, ask me a question. Uh, I don't think we've talked about Nightmare on Elm Street with you on the show basically ever. No. Uh, so I would love to know what your familiarity with the series, generally speaking, is. So I haven't seen the first one since I was like quite young. Um, I don't think I've seen it since I was 14, but the first time I watched it, I would have been much younger. And uh, like uh, probably like sub 10. And uh, <laughs> such a weird way to say it. What the fuck? <laughs> no, that was strange. I was thinking about like yeah. if it could be a joke to be man. made because it, it seemed kind of weird. But I get what you mean. I'm down to yeah. introduce it into the lexicon. We should. It's much. It's much shorter. Um, but yeah, no, I watched it when I was far too young, and it traumatized the shit out of me. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I was very sort of frightened of it, and um, about the whole sort of blending of like reality with dreams, and kind of um, being completely, there's like the, the helplessness of the characters, I think really bothered me. And I, I'll never forget that one sort of, um, like bad death where the dude gets sucked into his bed. That one had me scared to go to sleep when I was a kid. Oh um, yeah. which is like, cause I watched it again, like years later when I was like more of a teenager and I thought it was hilarious. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that stuck with me. I haven't seen it in years, so I don't even really remember that much about it or like the the plot points but um and beyond that again like I, i'm not a big like nightmare and elm street guy for no real good reason i mean I've, I've always had fun with the franchise but it's not really one that i've dug too deep into of like the classic sort of um slasher ones which is a shame because i think it's one of the more imaginative franchise or at least with what i've seen with like it, it's definitely a like a art art director's sort of movie and and uh you know makeup makeup and and acting and and so i think i'm uh i'd like to watch more of them because they they are um very distinct and i've enjoyed all of them but i just haven't got around to it there nice that's that's a good way to put it that they're very imaginative it it really shocks me that this franchise hasn't been redone since uh the basically straight up remake in 2010 which Corey and i actually covered on the show very early on so you can check out some more nightmare thoughts there um but like stuff like friday the 13th i know there's a lot of legal stuff holding that up but it kind of makes sense that there hasn't been a friday the 13th in a while just in terms of like what a studio might want to do because slasher films could be perceived as passe nowadays you know they're they're not as marketable um ghost movies were the rage for a while and then you know found footage movies and all this stuff but nightmare on elm street to me that premise um is so genius and 
mm-hmm. can just be manipulated in so many cool ways to um, basically appeal to any generation. And so it yeah. shocks me that they haven't just done this again. It doesn't have to be a slasher movie, you know, but just that idea of your dream, someone can get you in your dreams while you're sleeping and being able to blur the lines between reality and uh, what's in your head. Like that. I'm sure that like many attempts have been made over the years. I know uh, some some uh, um, pretty notable figures in the entertainment industry have pitches, and there must just be something holding up the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But it is such a cool idea, so um, I would love to see some more of them. My yeah. gosh, I'm I'm totally with you there. Like I think that this movie, like especially with the rise of shows like like Stranger Things and, and stuff like that, I feel it's like it's funny. You should say that. Ah, well, I feel like you could definitely market a, a show like this in, in times like, like or a film like this. Anyway. Yeah. I don't ahead. mean to interrupt you, but it's funny you say that because in this season, the one thing that I do know about it, the new one, I'm going to try to keep information to a minimum. I haven't seen it. Is that the, uh, first of all, Robert England is in it. Okay. And apparently like the bad guy is very Freddy Krueger and like the presentation of it is very Nightmare on Elm Street, like very intentionally. Like I literally saw somebody describe it. It's like some of the early episodes as if the Duffer brothers went out of their way to just make a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but they didn't have the license. I, dude, I bet I bet you that's the case. I bet you um, they're big fans, and if they didn't have a pitch that didn't I mean, work, they had a and maybe that Nancy, happened. Like you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you they were just like, "Fuck it, we'll do it ourselves." And with Stranger Things being as popular as it is, and that's what I've I've seen that online a bunch too, Corey. That huge Nightmare on Elm Street vibes in this season. I bet you this is the biggest push that has been experienced thus far of studios being like, "Oh, maybe we should try to do this Nightmare on Elm Street thing." I wouldn't be surprised if nostalgia. because of Stranger Things. I, I bet you uh, some some moves will happen with Nightmare on Elm Street uh, in the next few years, and we might get another movie. I'm pointing to the bleachers. So what will happen first? Will we get a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie, or will the queen die? Dude, uh, I bet you she's a big That's fan a of the solid movie. Race. So, so hopefully, sure. <laughs> hopefully she lives to see Robert England don the makeup one more time. <laughs> That would be so hardcore. And if they if they recast the role again, her she her final statement is gonna be like, "No one else can play Freddy Krueger." She's gonna say that to the world, and then she's only gonna... England, only <laughs> England. I thought you were gonna say she plays Freddy Krueger. <laughs> her lifelong dream. Her, well, Queen Liz, Liz already does kind of haunt my dreams, but I don't want to get too deep into that. <laughs> um. Yeah, you can hear more, as Liam said, of our like thoughts and histories with Nightmare on Elm Street stuff on our remake ep. Um, but I uh, this was one of the ones where it was TMAO fodder, but I watched it on my own time and just let myself like just hang out with a movie. Um, and so the this was my one second time watching it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so this was my second time seeing it, um, and I was really stoked to get back, back into the saddle here. Um, I did also find out something interesting, just like a fun fact for everybody. Um, this movie has uh, Freddy Krueger on screen for 13 minutes, which is the least of any Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Interesting. Wow. Doesn't feel that, that, is, that is a fun fact. I would be interested to know the stats of all the others. 
I bet you. Yeah. I bet. I bet you the original isn't much more than that. And then as the movies go on, it gets it's like increasingly more. Because yeah. like, yeah, Freddy's dead. He's, he's all on over screen that. for like half the movie, and he's wearing a Nintendo glove, power glove for oh, half the power of that. Glove? Is that the one where he did that? <laughs> That's six. Yeah. Now you're playing with power. That's right. Bitch. He probably says bitch. <laughs> I wonder if he ever calls someone a motherfucker. I don't think he does. I think I would remember that. You put a cherry bomb in that bird, you motherfucker. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> what drugs are you on? What are you taking and who are you getting it from? <laughs> um, so this movie is uh not about Nancy. Um uh, it's about Jesse. Um uh, Jesse and his family move into the Nightmare on Elm Street house. I guess they didn't hear about the Nightmare on Elm Street that happened. Um, and so he's just like, you know, heading into a new town, uh, trying to, you know, fit in with everybody, uh, trying to get up to speed here. And uh, he, he, there are two <laughs> important things at the beginning of this movie. He has a friend named Lisa and he is being bullied by a gym coach. <laughs> These are the important pieces of information. And he sweats um, a lot when he sleeps too. And he sweats a, he sweats in a an unfathomable amount when he sleeps. Um and then him <laughs> what? This is funny. He also likes he, occasionally he does like something that's like a little bit goofy, like maybe I did he, not think that's what you were going to say. <laughs> that you're gonna say and occasionally he does something a little bit gay. Well that too. But <laughs> But no, he's a bit of a goofball. Yeah, like, um, so he's just sort of like, you know, getting settled into town. But yeah, dude can't sleep too fucking hot. Dad won't fix the AC. And it turns out it's not the heat that you're feeling from a broken air conditioner. It's the heat you're feeling from literal actual hell. Um, Because Freddy Krueger is trying to uh, possess your body and use it to murder people because you're like young and, and like virile and good for murder or whatever. Um, and also, and, and also, he 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 lives on Elm Street. He's and also, he lives target. in an Elm Street house. He's getting revenge against. Freddy didn't they were in his house. What was I supposed not, to do? They were in my house. It's not Freddy's house. I know, but yeah, it would make a lot more. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I can't kind speak to it. In the sixth I mean, one, they they do some action where the the house it's like kind of his house, but uh, yeah, that, do, that doesn't alive, matter. Like monster house. I mean, it like, is. <laughs> it's, it's not his house, but he has like some sort of like ephemeral stewardship over this spooky ground. Okay, I'm gonna he try does. to keep explaining this. Um, so Freddy Krueger is trying to possess his body and use it to kill people, which he does successfully do. Um, because he goes out, he gets, so he gets possessed and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he goes to a gay bar and he gets a drink and his gym coach is there in like leather gear. And then he gets taken back to the high school and forced to run laps by a leather daddy gym coach who then goes to the showers and then he gets possessed by Freddy Krueger and murders him after he gets pelted with the various assortment of sports balls. <laughs> and uh, this is the point where people start getting concerned and Jesse's trying to like get his friends to help him. Like, hey man, clearly something fucked up and if I go to sleep, uh, this demon man is possessing my body and making me kill people. Um, 
And so, you know, kind of got to solve that problem. But, you know, the thing that is perhaps more interesting here than the actual plot um, is the amount of, depending on how you choose to interpret it, text or subtext of this movie that is extremely uh, homoerotic <laughs> or just gay generally or just um, or just homo or just or homo. just erotic or just erotic yeah whatever you want whatever you know floats your boat man um and i think that's where a lot of the discussion around this movie has come in like recent years even at the time but like over time it's become more and more the primary talking point of the movie um is all of that being present i would argue largely in the text rather than the yeah. subtext the bdsm it, nightmare on elm street yeah so um i think that's kind of an angle that we'll be attacking this from as much as the narrative one um and so really quick i'll do some cast and crew rundown for the fellas that's you guys um thank you yeah you got it uh this movie's directed by jack shoulder uh, who Liam directed Wishmaster 2, Evil Never Dies. Yeah, maybe we'll be seeing you soon, Mr. Shoulder. And also The Omen from 1995. The Omen? That was the thing. Yeah, The Omen. Huh. Like it doesn't I don't know a... if it's like Damien The Omen. All or... I'm going to say is Mr. Shoulder really carried the weight of this whole movie. Right on his shoulders. <laughs> I, see, I see what you mean there. Right on one shoulder, in fact. The ah! other was holding the camera. The Jack Shoulder. That's it's funny right. you say that because there's there's two cinematographers. So I guess two people were holding the camera. Was the other guy's name Mr. Arm? Arm and Hammer? <laughs> this movie was written by David Chaskin, who wrote um, a movie that stars Will Wheaton called The Curse. That's, that's about it. Um, also, Wes Craven has a credit because he created the character Freddy Krueger. Nice. Good um, job. Th- Thanks, Wes. You're a real one. Uh, edited by Bob Brady, who edited the movie Superfly. <laughs> and also right Arlene... Hmm? Right on. Hmm? <laughs> eh? uh, Arlene Garson is the other editor. Uh, edited a movie called The Man Who Wouldn't Die, which sounds pretty cool. Um, sounds like another name for this movie. That's right, yeah. <laughs> the cinematography is by Jacques Haitken who uh, shot the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and also Bloodsport 2 and Maniac Cop 3. Let's go. Mitch, have you got to Maniac Cop 3 yet? Not yet. Did you you finish the second one, Mitch? I did. I really liked it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Mitch told me that he was working his way through the Maniac Cop movies. Wait, Mitch, how are you, of all things, a big Maniac Cop head? Oh, they're fucking dope. What the fuck? Yeah, I like, like slasher movies and no i know it's just it's just funny to be like yeah mitch is a huge maniac cop believer Uh, mitch loves that 80s grime yeah Yeah. we got to do the maniac cop movies on on the pod we need some bruce campbell with maniac which we did cover yeah we did yeah one of my all-time favorite movies that one that movie's sick uh christopher tufty (laughs) sorry (laughs) christopher tufty also was cinematography on this movie. He worked on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. <laughs> and also uh, Critters and Repo Man. Oh, I love Critters. Repo Man. He's camera and electrical department on those. Not specifically the cinematographer, but he worked gotcha. on them. 
Uh, and the music is by Christopher Young, who we've heard of before. Liam, do you remember why? <sighs> no, I mean, when you say Christopher Young, I I think of uh, uh, whoever played that alien dude in Critters. Is this dude an actor? He's not that okay, I'm aware I'm thinking of. of. Someone else then. Who is this? Uh, but he did the music for The Fly too. <laughs> oh, I love The Fly too. Awesome. And also, quick reminder for people, also did the music for Sinister, Swordfish, The Grudge, Drag Me to Hell, Pet oh. Cemetery 2019, and also Spider-Man oh. 3. He's still at it. Dude, this guy's a legend. Dude's big That's time awesome. still at it. Hell yeah. Um, so this movie stars Mark Patton as Jesse. He uh, was in a movie with another hilariously long title, so I have to read it. Um... Come back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. <laughs> Dang. That sounds like an emo album title. Uh, notable about that movie. In that movie, he does play a gay teenager. And uh, in this movie, he plays something with a lot of gay subtext and text, depending on how you want to interpret it. The man is also just actually gay. <laughs> so real a very specific trajectory that that ended up being in terms of cinema. Uh, the b- 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 Kim Myers plays Lisa, not to be confused with Meryl Streep. Um, she was literally cast <laughs> in this movie in part because she looks like Meryl Streep. It's a real thing. She, uh, she, she does great, great casting in that regard. And speaking of movies that end in four, she's also in Hellraiser Four, Bloodline. Mm, not the one we did on this podcast. Not the one we did on this podcast. Could, it Hellraiser could be five. one day though. Could be one day. Could be. You never know. Ironically, Hellraiser 5, uh, made by Scott Derrickson, who made Sinister, didn't he? With the he did, yeah. music. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah. look at the huge brain on me. <laughs> That's a massive um, one. <laughs> Robert Ressler <laughs> plays Grady. Uh, he was in Weird Science. Uh, he was in a movie called Thrashing about rival skateboarding gangs. And he's in the oh, video game no Commander the price of freedom. Yeah, it's called Thrashing. Oh, I gotta look uh, that up. That sounds when you said Thrashing, I thought, is that a skateboard movie? And the fact that it it's is. skateboard gangs, I didn't know those yeah. existed. Um, we gotta watch this card. So this Wikipedia had a lot of fun facts for the actors, so here's another one. Wrestler was cast in this film during his last day of filming Weird Science. Friend and co-star Robert Downey Jr. accompanied him to his audition. Oh, hey. Just a fun cool. fact for you. Yeah. That's uh, right. Clue Gulliger plays Ken, the dad. Clue Gulliger may be one of the greatest names of all time. That is great. Clue, hey? Is that C-L-U-E? You No, it's C-L-U. Uh, still good. Is that not as good? I, I think you it would just be... Uh, it would be a bit cooler if, it, if he shared the name with the board game. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you if, did. if his name was Clue and his full name was Cluedo. That would be a lot cooler. Clu- Cluedo Battleship. <laughs> uh, during production of this film, he was injured a number of times, including one scene where a prop parakeet hit him in the face. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's a dangerous filming environment. And who would have thought <laughs> that it's like the dad that gets it the most? I know. Uh, Hope Lang plays Cheryl, the mom. She's in the first Death Wish movie. Um, and also Blue Velvet and Clear and Present Danger. Nice. 
Uh, Marshall Bell plays Coach Schneider. He was in Total Recall. And as Mitch said, he doesn't think that his character is a very nice guy. <laughs> um, and also we have uh, Christy Clark plays Angela, who is um, uh, Jesse's sister. We've got Sydney Walsh playing Carrie. She was in Point Break. And last but certainly not least, we have Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger. That's Fred to you. It's Frederick Krug. <laughs> That's Frederick to you. <laughs> Please. Frederick was my father's name. Called me Fred. <laughs> you have to put a pause in it. Yeah. For respect. Yeah. It's like a pregnant respect pause. Just like that one. That's right. That was See, we I respect you, Corey. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so Mitch, would you get up and go to eat pizza? Did you get oh, some I've been ziti? muted for Christ's sake. <laughs> You've been fucking muted. Uh, so I've been muted. I've been muted. Okay. That's enough of that. Do you want to, uh, do you want to tell me what you thought oh. about this movie? You okay over there? Sorry. I was just, I, was, I really shouted that one from my diaphragm. You gotta take care of your like honey glazed voice or whatever the fuck you whatever said. Whatever I said. Sorry, one more time. What, what was the question? What'd you think of the movie? Oh what yeah. Do you mean, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, Mitch, yeah, yeah. You, Mitch, you know when you mute yourself, you don't have to mute all of us. You don't have to stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this movie's like very good. I'm a fan. Damn. Do yeah. you care to elaborate at all? <laughs> Uh, where to begin? Um, I think it's like it has such a I think like a love for uh, surrealism and just sort of like striking images, and I think that that's like one of the great successes. It's it's I at first with the opening sequence I was like, what the fuck is this? But then I, then I was like, yeah, this this shit fucking slaps. That's how you start a movie with that sort of. Um, like a resting image of like this bus not stopping. And the, I guess like the, how interwoven um, these surreal images are with sort of a, uh, like a comic, but deadly irony, um, how they're laughing at him for missing his bus stop. And then all of a sudden they've all missed the stop and they're all going to die. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very sort of um, like a, an imaginative original thriller, even though it's a remake, it, it feels really fresh. Or no, not a remake, a sequel, I should say. Yeah. If this is a remake, that would be the ultimate fucking reveal. Like no, they made be... a Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge in like nineteen sixty. No, 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 that would be wild. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I meant sequel. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it 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 stands up really well. It has such like a uh, unusual. Uh, sense of horror and a sense of of comedy as well that that collide in such like a distinct way it's it's um just like a, a really fun movie i think from start to finish and it's uh like you're not going to find anything like really like revolutionary or, or profound but like you're going to have a really good time with like the design of the kills and the and the laughs like it's it's a good um just like a movie made purely for like the the fun of of, of watching it so I had a really good time with it. 
And that was quite recently, correct? Uh, that was, yeah, that was like a couple hours ago, like an hour Hell or two yeah. ago. Love that fresh take. Yeah. Call, so yeah, it was a fresh take. Sorry fresh if it's take. uh, sorry if it's not as flushed out as, it, but yeah. No, 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 no. That's awesome. It would be funny if, like, imagine this was one that was, like, universally hated, and it was like, yeah, this is my fresh take. I think it's awesome, and we're just, like, fucking tugging at the collar a little bit. Yeah. You um, got to sleep on it. That's that's when you <laughs> that's decide you hate it. You got to sleep on We've it, and then Freddy Krueger shows up, and you have to fight him, and if you win, you hate the movie, because he's clearly a, a pussy, and he shouldn't have been that scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Liam, what about you? What did you think about Nightmare on Elm Street? Sorry, my headphones just made that weird content sound again. Um, what did you think about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2? I love Freddy's Revenge. I do. Um, Mitch, I agree with everything Mitch said. I love the surreal streak in this movie. It's a real um, grab bag, like party mix of a movie. It is. Um, I think it is... <sighs> It's so fun to watch, but also very interesting. Like, like there's there's stuff in it that makes me think and makes me want to watch it again and wonder what it is that it's saying. But then, besides that, um, it is just really fun. It doesn't it doesn't get bogged down in what it's saying either. It strikes a really nice balance. And whereas the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, which is one of my all-time favorite horror movies, that first one, it feels like a very singular, focused, cinematic story to me. Um, you know, like the it follows a specific three-act structure. The climax feels big. Characters are getting picked off in very deliberate ways. Um, it, it just feels like a classic film. Uh, whereas this second one, I think it is a bit more scattered, a bit more wayward, um, but also just as valuable. Um, it it is a gives me a very different feeling than the first movie. Um, I think they're two totally different things, which is probably why this movie was so. Uh, ill-received by critics and by a whole lot of fans throughout the years. Um, but th this movie has always had its fans, and over the decades, it has really built up a strong fan base. Um, it seems like starting with the gay community, um, I say that because of a recently released documentary that is sort of half a biopic of the lead actor, Mark Patton, and half... Uh, making uh, like a behind the scenes movie of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. It is all about Mark Patton, but it, it ends up talking a whole lot about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And in that, uh, you hear from people, um, uh, mostly gay men, um, who say that this movie has meant so much to them, you know, since they were kids and they saw themselves in this movie. Um, and so this movie is really valuable in that way. But it is also branched out to basically, I think everyone who, who I encounter in the horror community, gay or not, is like, yeah, this is a, a great 
Nightmare on Elm Street horror movie. Um, and I think that is because it, it sort of has something for everyone. It has that those interesting uh, wrinkles in the story, but it also has some just nightmarish, surreal stuff. I think Freddy Krueger here is the scariest he's ever been. I, I think the depiction in this movie is actually scarier than he is in the first one, both in terms of performance, uh, f- characterization, you know, his lines and stuff like that and the way he's seen on screen. Um, and in terms of the makeup, I think this is peak Freddy Krueger. So it also has that for the horror fans. So I just think all around it is a, a really captivating movie i think that i prefer the first one a little bit just because that first one feels more like an you know to to sound maybe like a pretentious film guy it, it kind of it feels like an auteurs movie it feels like Wes craven was behind it all the way whereas this movie it, it wasn't directed by the guy who wrote it and when you watch interviews of the people that made this movie it kind of seems like the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing there's conflicting reports about you know if the director picked up on any of the gay subtext if the writer meant for the gay stuff to be in there or like what he was trying to say about it it kind of seems like people just didn't want to like own up to what this movie was or they didn't want to admit what they were doing it's kind of seems like they they stumbled into some of it actors say different things about what kind of movie they thought they were making and so i think that makes for um a viewing experience that to me is a packs a bit less of a full punch the way the first movie does but also this punch is just like so much more manic that i can't help but love it so uh this this has got to be my my second favorite in the franchise um and it's not far behind the original it's a really cool movie when i saw this movie for the first time i thought very quickly that i think i liked it more than the first movie uh, i think i did nice. too but it's been too long yeah i think i would have to watch the first one again to really be sure um but this movie's awesome this movie's great and i'm not gonna say anything that you guys haven't successfully already articulated um in like an overview sense because like uh this movie has both genuine terror and the hilarious imagery of Freddy Cougar like jumping out of the ground and like lighting a pool on fire. Oh, dude, the like, Rey Mysterio jump yeah. <laughs> emerges Which is from that fucking pool. hilarious. Oh, like, so good. Also, um, can really quick, I'd love to make the argument really, really fast that um, Freddy Krueger in the house chasing Lisa is just proto Ghostface because he's fallen over all this shit. <laughs> And he's like stumbling yeah. around. Yeah, he's like, what the it, fuck's it, going on? Like, really cool. I and think I know they, Wes Craven didn't make this movie, but like, just, let's just consider this for a moment. Well, that that sort of happens in the first one as well. There's a house chase with Nancy, and he sort of just feels like this little like scurrying rat that's kind of bumping into stuff. And so I I think that's a really cool thing that they managed to carry over. I love that Replicate. too. It makes him way scarier. Yeah, and I think just, you know, this movie really does sort of succeed in just being like, you know, a really good final product. I hate to say product, but like a really good result of just making an 80s slasher. It's got all the pieces you'd want and it looks great. And I think the lead performance is really good, but um, it's got a lot that she won and it's got a lot of weird mystique because nobody wants to like say for sure if 
the any you know queer element of it was intentional and if it was to what extent i just uh i think that's interesting i think it's cool that it it's like it's crazy to me that this movie came out when it did and you know like some people will be like oh yeah it's it's the gay subtext and i guess technically it's subtext but like it's basically text i feel like it's very forward in that regard and the idea that this came out of like 1985 i know a lot of pop culture at that point in time was like pretty out there like i don't know like david bowie's not like the straightest guy i've ever seen in terms of like overall presentation but like um it's just it's so wild that a movie in like one of the towering horror franchises in our collective pop culture is about this and this is how it's structured and this is what it is and i'm not surprised that that resonated with a lot of people like i'm sure if you're closeted or questioning or something the uh a movie where um a guy uh gets taken over by another guy to think thoughts that are unusual to him probably resonates somewhat in some respect so uh yeah there's a lot of great shit here except for the poster the poster's kind of fucked up um i don't really get what they were going for with the poster the freddy hands way too big i'm gonna look at that right now uh lisa is in like sheer clothing for no reason um the fucking skull on his head looks like evil dead and not freddy krueger there's like a raven in the window they're in a bathroom it's super weird yeah and and despite all that dude i prefer this poster to the first uh poster i this is my well it's this franchise has a lot of great posters but um this might be my favorite i i I think it's better than the first one it reminds me of like a a fear poster the first one i love the design but it's always bothered me the way nancy's face looks like she just looks kind of she looks kind of goofy um like it just kind of looks like a it looks like a like when like a 10th grade artist who like is still just kind of finding their footing like shows might show you yeah. like their drawing of a person and you're like that's good it's better than it's better than most people could do but also like it's just like a bit off you know what i mean yeah ironically uh to our conversation earlier really quick i think the best nightmare on elm street poster might be four I think I think the shortcomings are more in Jesse's face than they are in uh, in the lady's face in the poster. I think like, what's interesting is that, like back in the eighties, like a a poster would be like how you sell your movie, right? Or like in a lot of ways, like because like they didn't have like the widespread marketing that we do nowadays. Um, and this seems like a really bizarre choice. Plays into that surrealism we were talking about. Definitely. Yeah, no, yeah. For sure. it's weird. And Corey, I might agree with you. Four is an amazing poster. The poster looks so sick. creepy the, on that one. The movie, take it or leave it, but the poster's sick. Um, but yeah, just to, to circle back to uh, Freddy's Revenge. Um, yeah, what an opening, right? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Br- oh, brilliant oh, yeah. opening. <laughs> also, like, like the there's a few of the seek other sequences too. Like whenever everything's melting in his room, like that feels like Salvador Dali. I think the opening sequence does as well. Also, you um, want to talk about like needlessly like, like sexually subtexting up your scene for no reason. Like oh just like yeah yeah melting yeah. wax piles and just like sweat and like grime and just like you they were like if they didn't know what they were doing, they're like the dumbest motherfuckers alive. <laughs> like, I don't know how you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, the, the, I mean, there's no yeah, way that, that that they didn't know, and and people have gone on record, like crew members, like you know, like art designers and stuff, have said like they they read the script and they thought it was clear. The director has said he had no idea. So I think it's just like it depends on who you ask. But there's no way that people didn't know what they were doing because the thing was done. You know, like movies are made all the time by people who aren't intending to have any gay subtext in their movies and those movies don't have gay subtext like it's something you basically kind of have to choose to do so um that's and that's also why this movie is so fascinating like it's a gay movie that i think um wasn't really made he has to like get the girl at the end and Uh, yeah yeah um but yeah like it is super bizarre and they get to it so fast like the the dynamic that's set up with like the softball game and like the the ribbing with Grady and then like having to do like the put punishment pushups and instantly just being like, yeah, uh, the coach is into dudes, <laughs> like just like really just kind of like, coming out and saying it. Yeah, like um, it's just laying all of all of the very like transparently um homoerotic stuff is very transparent. Uh, like. Um, I think stereotypical to a degree too. Well, but like, like let's consider when uh, Jesse is panicking and he's at the party, but uh, he's at like Lisa's party, but he's just like can't handle it, and he's worried that like Freddie's gonna come back, so he goes to Grady's and he like basically just lets himself in. Hide me in your room. Yeah, well, he's like something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's inside the cabana, and you're trying to sleep with me. Yeah that's text <laughs> like that's not that's, that's a direct quote like and you know if you want to interpret it as like you know the freddy krueger like possession moments could pretty easily be you know interpreted as like what's the best way to put it but um you know like those are moments where the like gay tendencies are like becoming more prevalent and like a repressed feeling is coming out and then he feels like he needs to do something about it like has to react to that and like um you know i don't want to make it sound like the experience for everybody who realized that they're queer is like a bad time uh, because I don't think that it is. But if you want to like look at that experience of being like, oh, like there's this thing going on here that I don't understand, and I need to find a way to like get get this under control, can be pretty easily mapped onto the um, like Freddy Krueger possession moments. And if you think about like the murdering of the the gym coach, it's not that hard a logic leap to you know make that about desire instead when you consider that it started with sneaking into a gay bar and meeting up with your fucking like leather daddy gym coach right (laughs) like that is the first place he goes which is kind of i mean say it's freddy but i mean i don't know my notes i was like why is he here (laughs) yeah well like he's he's clearly kind of i think he's probably kind of into grady too right Mm -hmm. like it's all kind of there um but even just like it's even just this, it's in the little things. It's like when he has to clean up his room uh, or unpack his stuff, and he's like dancing around, and he's got that like yeah yeah wooden whatever the fuck it is. And it just that's like, what straight- I meant when I was saying he, he does goofy shit. Yeah, but it's also just like cu- like just phallic as hell. 
<laughs> like, oh, oh, certainly, yeah. Like, there, it's so funny how it's a conversation because at this point in time, it feels so blatant. And I know that we just keep saying that, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's crazy that this was ever a debate to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if... There's no debate. <laughs> and so if, if it's not a debate, are you guys... Um, totally in favor of it do you think it's all cool uh are you asking me if i'm homophobic (laughs) no 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 (laughs) jesus christ some people think this movie is homophobic so i'm wondering like what you think of the presentation and 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 if you think it's if you think it's uh you know valuable it it lays it it on thick but it's but it's also like a pretty like coded movie i think um in also, a lot of ways. what would be homophobic about it? I mean that honestly. Like, I, mean, I, I like guess stereotypes at work. I guess it was the fucking mid eighties. The eighties, yeah. Like that's, that's, that's not. That's what I'd say to that. Well, and also, like, even if you want to take the framing, which maybe this is what it is, of like, oh well, if we're mapping a parallel of like gay desire onto like a literal demon that murders people, maybe you could argue that that's being homophobic. Mm-hmm. But. That's just what the movie is, right? Like, metaphors don't have to be clean, right? Like, if that was the intent, then I don't know. I I don't think, like, I think for this movie to be homophobic, it would have to be actively working against its gay protagonist. I think in in looking at a movie like this that's so, like, jumbled with surrealism and, and everything, if you're looking for a clean metaphor, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, and I, I think I like it's, yeah, it's, like I think just having like homoerotic imagery and like being able to maybe swing like a negative parallel onto like where homoerotic desire is coming into play doesn't make it homophobic. Like and also the idea that like look at, at the fucking mountains of queer people that find like either joy in viewing it or just identify with it meaningfully, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's not homophobic. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I agree. And, it, and that makes me wish that this movie had just been championed from the start, and that like it, the the crew behind it was able to stand up for it and stand up for the actors uh, who did it. You know, because after this movie came out, um, Mark Patton was totally typecast and sort of uh, even in blamed in some cases for for making the movie gay. People people would say that to him. Um, and uh, he had to like, he totally left the industry and uh, shied okay. away and really felt that this movie yeah. left him out to dry. Um, and I did read. And, oh, so, no, go ahead. The writer also didn't stand behind it, and he he was he was denying any of this uh, gay subtext in the movie for a long time. He was saying this wasn't you know this isn't a gay movie. If people are saying that, they're either um, bringing it to the table themselves or they're picking up on uh, you know like P- Mark Patton's performance or something like they they yeah. And then with Jack Shoulder, you know he he he. Uh, kind of still saying that he didn't pick up on any of this stuff and so it was just sort of a confused thing um whereas if this movie had been made if not by queer filmmakers then just people who who were uh more um 
allies, you know, from the start and just like stood by what they what they made and the way it came across, then I think this movie could have uh, been more successful and more respected from the get go. And now it's sort of just this it's like this curiosity that people are catching up to and that the crew is catching up to as well. Yeah. And it's worth, it's worth discussing. So, uh, you know, the writer, uh, Chaskin said he denied for years of Jane that there was gay subtext in the screenplay. Um, and did say that Mark Patton just played it too gay. And like, it was just by virtue of that, what that is supposed to mean. I don't really know. It just sounds like a, Hey, it was to me. Uh, he did. Uh, it. It, it t- Wikipedia claims that he did attempt to apologize after that. Never mm-hmm. really. He, but he maintained that it was Mark Patton's performance that put a lot of it there. However, quote, in 2010, Chaskin finally admitted it was a deliberate choice on his part. And then a quote from Chaskin. Homophobia was skyrocketing and I began to think of a core audience, adolescent boys, and how all of this stuff might be trickling down into their psyches, he explained. Quote, my thought was tapping into that angst would give an extra edge to the horror. So unequivocally, it was on purpose. Interesting that he, that he yet, sort of did like the St. Peter thing and denied it three or four times. You yeah, know and I mean? yet for 25 years, they blamed the closeted gay man that the people working on the movie knew was gay for how gay their gay movie was. That's kind of it. That's very irresponsible. It's fucking gross, man. Kind of, yeah, gross. Yeah, I will say and, though. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Corey. Just really quick, the one quote from Robert England on this is from 2010, and he addresses it very quickly. "Quote: The second Nightmare on Elm Street is obviously intended as a bisexual themed film. It was early 80s pre-AIDS paranoia. Jesse's wrestling with whether to come out or not, and his own sexual desires were manifested by Freddy, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um. He literally says that's all there in the film. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, you guys Robert can find. Basically, just saying it's text. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, he said that the scene where he um confronts Jesse beside the staircase, uh, right before he says, uh, yeah. "You got the body, I got the brains." He sort of like puts his his claw fingers like mirror yeah on his mouth um and there's a quote there's a scene in the documentary i mentioned uh scream queen my nightmare on elm street where robert is interviewed and he says that you know he he was playing up the homoeroticism because he thought it was all there and um there are interviews with everyone you guys have mentioned in this documentary um so you can get their updated thoughts and it is absolutely wild there is a uh a sit-down conversation between Mark Patton and, and the writer, David Chaskin. Um, and it is one of the most tense uh, <laughs> scenes I've ever seen in a documentary because Mark Patton, he has been living in, I think it's Mexico, for the last long while, um, uh, totally separated himself from L.A. where he had you know, moved decades earlier to be a young star. Um, and... He, you know, he starts embracing the convention stuff uh, around 2010 when uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street documentary called Never Sleep Again came out where a lot of these uh, interviews happened um, that you're seeing quotes from Corey. And so um, he became reacquainted with the movie after a good, uh, I guess that would be 
decade and two, two decades, two and a half, two decades and a half of, of, uh, shunning away from this movie because he felt he had been ostracized um but still he hasn't had much contact with the people who made this movie and so while this documentary crew is following him he wants to get some closure and he wants to talk to these people um particularly david chaskin the guy who wrote the movie and he wants uh him to admit that this this stuff was not mark Patton's fault um and so they have this this sit down sort of a confrontation but also a conversation um and there's this moment where mark Patton uh brings up the the dance scene you guys talked about where he uses the uh what would it be it's like a noisemaker or a whistle uh he holds that whistle at his crotch and there's also a scene where he kind of like there's a moment where he bumps uh, a drawer shut with his with his booty while he's he's dancing to the music um he does and so he he brings that scene up and and he says you know i didn't it wasn't my idea to dance like that like i had reservations about that i was i was told to do it and david chaskin fires back and he says something something to the effect of yeah but i didn't write in the script that uh that jesse dances all gay like (laughs) Oh my god! He doesn't well, actually like, say that. It's not quite that flippant, but something like that. Either and it's way, just though, like, like yeah, it just becomes clear that like these people were just not on the same page, and it's a damn shame. I didn't say to dance like you're fucking gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you gay? It's like yes. <laughs> um, man, that's so fucked. Um, and it's a fascinating movie. I hope Mark Patton feels like he got closure because <laughs> like I, I, I think he does. It's a real beautiful movie and he seems he seems at, at peace by the end of it. He well, meets with a I lot of there's, people. There's something to be said for like the following the movie has and what it's meant for other people, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much good footage of him meeting fans and signing things and fans telling him uh, what the movie meant to the to them and um but it, but it is it, it despite all that you know this dude still really is troubled by the way he was uh treated by this by this uh crew so it it just goes to show yeah. that um uh this is this like this is actually a heavy movie and people can can make fun of it or say that it's uh you know say that it's bad for all these years or or just call it the gay movie or whatever but like this is there's a lot going on here that uh is really just makes it a very peculiar uh movie and definitely worth watching yeah and like i'll even say for me i'm not gonna say that it was like a big deal for me when i first watched it in this particular way because it wasn't necessarily but like just to put the the fucking uh pull the curtain back here uh i'm by i came out recently you guys obviously know that but maybe somebody listening doesn't um but the first time i watched this movie i was not out and i i but i knew the reputation of the movie preceded itself and it was enough for me just as somebody who's you know working on it just be like oh wow they made a gay one of these and like i'm saying it in a funny way but like my intent is earnest which is to say that like it it does have value even in the most surface level way to have part of something that is so large in pop culture generally horror culture generally to have that overtness to it 
to just be like, okay, like as if, so it doesn't feel like it's something that was like became a thing like 15 years ago. If you know what I mean? Like it, it it's a, it's a helpful reminder of like the omnipresence of that kind of thing. Not that you can't just like read a history book, but like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's cool that this exists in the form that it does. And it's a shame that it demanded like the fucking blood sacrifice of Mark Patton's confidence. Like, yeah, for sure. I think it's uh it's it's an example of um how w- once you make art, it's sort of in other people's hands and and what happens to it happens to it. Um and uh you know, I I don't believe that like people are just bringing um themes to this movie that aren't there because they are there, but uh it is it's it's just so interesting to me that this movie is so laden with imagery and uh uh, symbolism themes straight up text like you said Corey but there's still like not uh, when something is normally that dense with a certain viewpoint normally it, it comes from someone who is feels very passionate about something and uh, um, was cons- and then they put it out there for that purpose but this one it's like it was maybe constructed for that purpose but then people shied away or it uh it like something happened here where like some wires got crossed and the movie got put out um how it is and then other people um latched on to what was there but then we're not sure like how much of it was meant to be there or meant to be taken that way or or what have you and so it's just so cool that this thing exists and uh and um and we can just like love it for decades and think about it um and it doesn't really matter what the people behind it say they meant or what they didn't mean because uh you know the writer was saying that he didn't mean something for decades and now he's saying that he did mean something but the art has stayed the same the the entire way through so you kind of just gotta you gotta watch movies and make up your own mind you know yeah absolutely um beyond thematic i think it's worth pointing out a few other things because there was always going to kind of be a lot of of that but um all the performances here are really fun yeah um, there, there's not like a real dud here um, no like the supporting like because uh mark Patton's great but we've talked about him quite a bit so just to pivot but i think that like core um lisa grady other yeah. girl K- kim myers is, is really quite good i, I yeah Especially with how I think, like how her character is written, and how she, like the the significant role in which she plays in kind of uh, fighting the evil, and the the only reason I guess um, why it's successful is is because like you know she cares, and why they're able to defeat Freddy. It's also, an interesting character arc. She's not just like the the girlfriend who's like, oh, I did this research, and here's some shitty exposition, and blah blah blah. Like, uh, they, like they she, kind of go, they kind of both get final girl responsibilities, which is yeah. interesting. Like, I wonder if that was. I guess we'll never know what was intentional, what was it, but it is interesting that, um, like Mark Patton gets a lot of the like, you know, standard final girl stuff, um, but then. Lisa gets like the whole final confrontation of the movie. Yeah, which and I think it's a great final confrontation. And um, 
there are, there are multiple sort of confrontations that she has with Freddy. And it's interesting that you say that he was only on screen for 13 minutes because they feel like they have so much more staying power. Um, his presence feels so much more pronounced. It's uh, like the, the, the bit in her house at the pool party, like that whole set piece and how it's designed and the special effects work that are there. And also just like the general camp at play and everything. And, and, and uh, the desperation in her performance, all of those things are the perfect recipe for like a great third act sort of uh, build up to like, kick her to, to the, to the end, I guess. Um, yeah. Really wonderful performances and, and complimented by everything else. I really like the, the little protagonist switch at the end, or, or, you know, it becomes more clear that they're both lead characters. I think that, it really speaks a lot to those characters' friendship that you see throughout the movie. Like, I love the scenes of them just hanging out, finding Nancy's diary while uh, they clean Jesse's room. They just, and she comes by like in the morning before school. They just feel like such good friends. And so I, I really like that that friendship is emphasized by her believing him and her going to fight for him to save him. Um, because he would do the same for her. So I love that friendship. And uh, I'm totally with you, Mitch. I, I love um, the, the Freddy's presence th- throughout this movie. I, I think that he looks and sounds like like the literal devil. Like I, I, th- I love the hell stuff in this movie. This idea mm. that hell is right beneath. Um, oh gosh, what is, the, what is this town called? Uh, Springwood I think um, I love that idea that hell Elm is right Street. beneath it what is it Elm Street <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like Freddy he just he feels like pure evil in this movie and when he gets t- unleashed on the teens at this pool party oh my gosh I don't care that it doesn't follow the rules that the first movie set out in fact I like that this movie kind of tweaks the rules and has a bit of a different approach and um, some of the ways he's framed like when he says you're all my children now and it's sort of this low angle and he's bathed in silhouette and he puts his arms out and then that scene where you see him behind a bunch of fire and smoke and it's a close-up on his face um and in one shot he's like grimacing with his teeth gritted you can find it basically if you type anywhere like nightmare on elm street to freddy um but then it goes back to him for another shot that is that is posted online far less but it's just as scary he sort of has this wide-eyed gaping expression where like he um is just in utter disbelief that like people are putting up a fight, but also he feels so powerful. Like it's not, it's not a bit of disbelief. Like you're seeing a weakness in this guy. It's like, you're seeing the gears turning and you know that he is about to go to like 11 and it is a testament to the cinematography. It's a testament to the makeup. It's a testament to Robert England's performance. I think all across the board, Freddie is absolutely terrifying in this movie. Um, and so I really like that he is given this uh, strong uh, motive of trying to possess these uh, these teens. Um, and I just think it is it's so, so cool. Lends itself to so many cool horror sequences. For sure. 
it's it's uh it's it, it it goes in so many different directions incredible movie would recommend to anyone yeah and the fashion's great yeah very very 80s very cool 80s absolute peak yeah i think you honestly could release this movie like it feels really fresh like i think you could release it today and or at least like have like a like a re-release and i think it would like be successful if you played it at like you know like small theaters or big theaters and people want to go and see it like i think it would still uh be effective today oh um, that's a good that's a great i point. mean yeah and grady has such himbo energy that it would really connect with the youth of today yeah yeah absolutely extreme him because he's a very like ple- he's a fairly pleasant jock but he's clearly not a super smart guy. That intersection is what Lee like to call a himbo. <laughs> uh, Finally, more what? representation. <laughs> more representation. It is hilarious to me that... Um, uh, <laughs> it is funny to me that uh, Robert England described this movie with the phrase bisexual-themed film. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that's, why that's so funny to me. A bisexual themed film. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Freddie Freddy said it. We get to claim this one. You guys get the next one. It's awesome. That's like an that's an older dude who gets it, but also like you know, like he grew up in a different time. It's but yeah, it's he just, gets it pretty cool. hard. Like yeah, he's just fucking cool as shit. <laughs> yeah, super sick. I mean, it's funny because like I think by virtue of this being a good movie it's almost like just go watch it like what else do you want me to say about it you know fuck just go watch it it's one of them um just go watch the movie i mean like you'll you'll enjoy it i think no matter what because there's a bit of like there's a slice of everything for everyone that's what liam was saying we have undersold the comedy yeah there's two things that come to mind one i actually want to double down on grady being a himbo which is just that he's like dude you seem down. We're in the cafeteria. You seem down. Uh, what do you want to? What, how do you want to feed? You want to go watch a movie? Do you want to eat some pizza? <laughs> like these are how you just solve problems. Just like, hey man, would movies and pizza solve your existential angst? Maybe, but also, um, anything with the parents is funny. Like, um, when the police bring him back and they're just like, "Does this belong to you?" And the dad does that thing. Where it's like you just have to answer two questions and we can all go to bed. What are you taking, son? And who are you getting it from? And then he, when he doesn't answer, you cut to the next day and the dad is just like drilling new window bars into a house that already has window bars. Yes. Yeah. I I love all funny. the the parent stuff. It's like this weird sort of zany, s- satirical bend to American suburbia. Like it just, it it feels very strange. And the fact that the house is getting increasingly hot throughout the movie adds to it. And like, it's like this dad is like trying to act like things are normal. Like dads do. He's like, Oh yeah, there's not a problem. It's just, it's just the AC, you know? And, uh, um, and then when the birds finally like get possessed, he's like, Oh, I got to take care of it. Cause I'm the dad. So he grabs a broom to try to like smack the demon bird out of the air. Uh, it is, it's really, it's really cool. And it just adds a nice little, uh, a nice little flavor to this movie that um, makes it all the more um, endearing, I think. And his sister trying to get that prize out of the cereal 
and it's just like weird fingers <laughs> like oh yeah it looks like kind of like bugles on the end of her fingertips and so she, yeah that that's just good filmmaking that is a that is so good Something else I like about this movie um, that I think it it should get more credit for, though this might be like why it, people dissed it for a while. I really like the way that this movie is a sequel. I think it's really cool that Jesse yes. moves into Nancy's house. I think that is a great way to keep doing a movie uh, series when you don't have some of the main cast. You know, I, I I've heard that Nancy wasn't even asked to be in this movie. They must have, they just wanted to go in a different direction. The movie was put together really quickly, um, so so it, it makes sense that they just they, they just wanted to throw it together. But it actually doesn't feel all that thrown together. I think going to that house on Elm Street is really cool, and I love the way they still keep Nancy's um, I guess presence sort of like. If, if Freddie is the evil presence, Nancy is the good presence. She's left her diary where she's taken notes uh, about her daily life, which is really cute. She's like writing about um, her boyfriend who lives next door to her. Um, and uh, but then it also turns out she's written about Freddie and how to defeat him. And I just think that's really cool as a way to respect the original and respect that Nancy character who would then come back in the next installment. And so it feels like this isn't, this isn't one you can skip, even if you're just trying to watch like the main, you know, through line, you're just trying to stick to the, like the Nancy movies or something. She's still in this one in a cool spiritual way. Um, and I like that she is five years older than these characters. Um, and so they're like, oh, that's way before my time. Because when you're a teenager, like things, five years feels, feels like a like whole a lot. lot. And so I, I think it's just it's just a really cool way to incorporate uh, her character and that original movie. Also, I think as a sequel, this movie just does the smart thing of we're not going to spend 25 minutes re-explaining to you what all of these things are. Oh yeah, like, you get right into very, it. Very refreshing, honestly. Like it doesn't that it doesn't do that. I mean, it, it gives you just as much information as you need and sort of unveils it. They have to explain a little bit of it because Jesse just doesn't know. But like, mm. they don't do the whole like, here's this guy and he used to be this guy and then this thing happened and now there's a guy and he has powers and blah 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 and the don't well, sleep. It, it, like he comes to the don't sleep conclusion on his own and they just leave it mm-hmm. like. It's not like they read that in the diary. Like once they pulled out the diary, I was like, "Oh no, here comes like some real like ham-fisted sort of like exposition." Like day thirty-eight, I have not slept. My dearest, thirty-eight Agatha. days. Like I don't know. It's just like, stupid. <laughs> so I think that speaks to how um, popular that first movie was. You know, Freddy was he would get even bigger as the decade went on, but still, that first one um, was so popular they churned this one out less than a year after the first one came out, and so Freddy was still on people's minds. You could just get it was like this is like an episode two of a TV series. You don't need to do a previously because people just saw the other one they're still thinking about it and you can just jump right into it and so i think that is another reason why that opening sequence on the bus is just so brilliant um unsettling unrelenting it just throws you right into it introduces you to your main character introduces you to this idea that reality and dreams are going to be blurred you don't know which is going to be which um you don't know when freddy's going to turn up and i just i think it's really cool Good movie. 
Good movie. Also, Grady's room is fucking crazy. It like, is. Like he has dope. like vinyl bedspread. Like, what the fuck were we doing? <laughs> what were we doing? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, and I I love a good teenager bedroom in in a movie or a TV show. Teens just and those always have are all the over the especially rooms. from this period. I think you've got some just rad bedroom designs in movies. Oh yeah, yeah, and I love that he's just chilling in it. He's just like shirtless. He's just watching TV when Jesse bursts into his room and this party's going on. But he's just he's just hanging out. Who among us has not just been truly vibing? Right, and it's it'd be easy to vibe in a room like that. My gosh, yeah, you got a tiny TV, big bed. Now we have big TV, tiny bed. Where did society go wrong? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Think about it. So, do we want to find out what we're what we're watching next week? Are we? Yeah. Have we covered it sufficiently? I've, I, I've uh, talked all I want to. I think. I haven't talked all I want to, but I've talked all I need to. Yeah, we can keep talking just because we're friends, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's right? right. So if you guys are ready, I, I will gladly unveil what we're going to watch next week. Um, my thought is this, because I have not had my mind made up as the day has gone on. Our list is just too damn long. It's a bit shorter than it was at the beginning of the day because as I read through it, I was like, oh, this thing has already been on the list once. Oh, this thing's already been on the list twice. I get ideas and then uh, I forget I had the idea and then a couple months later, I'll, I'll have the idea and I'll be like, this is the greatest idea. I don't know why I haven't thought of it, but it's such a great idea that I had actually thought of it three other times. So I've been going back and forth. Um... I am house sitting in this in this big lovely house with a big TV and a theater room, um, much more conducive to immersive movie watching. It's where I watched Nightmare on Elm Street too. It was just a great time, and so I am hesitant to pick something that would not benefit from um, the setup I've got going on here. And I also brought a stack of Blu-rays with me to watch. Um, I just picked them randomly off the shelf. I didn't have any big plans, but I figure why not uh, whip out another one of these Blu-rays I have. So if you guys don't mind, I am going to pick a movie from my personal collection. I'm kind of going to keep up the 80s horror theme we've got going on. I hope it's not too much for people, but I think it worked out for us once. We're getting close to the end of the season. And so I just I wouldn't mind throwing another one in there and trying to to keep our good vibes going. My pick is going to be The Blob from 1988. Whoa! Oh, nice. I haven't seen that. They got, what I got Jello in that one? Actually, that one's just tapioca. No, that'll be cool. That's. I feel like it's a boat of confidence that you have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, I like this movie. I'll say it right now. I like it. Uh, but I am very curious to hear what you guys think of it. And I, I've only seen it once. Um, so I, 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 maybe my thoughts will change. And if they don't change, I will at least come with uh, tantalizing reasons as to why I like this movie. Tantalizing? So, tantalizing. Yeah, you, you like that you one? tantalized the whole... Pa- now this podcast has homoeroticism in it as well. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm going to come with the, the sal- salacious reasons why I like this movie. 
gonna come with some reason anyway i don't know <laughs> yeah i hope you guys are ready for uh what i have to feel <laughs> for what i think about the blob because i am gonna come <laughs> in honor of queen elizabeth ii remember when the podcast <laughs> was about that he wants to fuck the blob <laughs> yeah dude who hasn't seen the blob from 1988 and wondered what would happen if they put their dick I in mean, it? Anyone want to check I've on the queen? Is she still one. doing all right? <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's so weird for this episode to have that bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we had to hide the bit in the place she's least likely to look. <laughs> likely to hear it. Yeah, if she like hears she, the bit, she dies. <laughs> That's right. She might have checked out like the postman always rings twice or something, but she's not clicking on Freddy's Revenge, despite what we said earlier about it being her <laughs> lifelong dream to play Freddy Krueger. She doesn't want to play this Freddy Krueger. She wants to play remake Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Jackie Earl Haley, she actually liked that one better than the original. Well, they both got three names. Jackie Earl, Earl Haley, Queen Elizabeth II. That's right. <laughs> some people identified with Freddy's Revenge, and some people identified with Jackie Earl Haley's <laughs> name in the remake. And uh, that's why it's Pride Month. <laughs> Jackie Earl Haley's name, queer icon, just like <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> Jackie Earl Gailey, am I right? <laughs> Queer Corey. Elizabeth II. That was Corey. <laughs> well, that, that was a Corey joke. Oh, all I heard was that was Corey. Like you didn't want to own it. <laughs> Buckingham Palace has announced the death of His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. Why again? Was it so short. Why is it so short? Why did they let the music keep playing? Well, they, they knew what people were listening to the station for, so they just had to they had to get it in. It's a contractual obligation, but no sense on dwelling on it. It's called oh, BBC man. Radio Dance Awkward Interruption of Prince Philip's Death. It has 4.6 million views. <laughs> Two of those are ours. Oh, no, I watched the first time I saw this, I probably watched it for like at least 30 times in a row, I was like cackling. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like vibing around. I was like cleaning my house to this shit. This is music to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mitch, on that note, do you want to go? Do you need to go clean your house more? Do you need anything? Do you want to plug anything? What's up? Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, has died. <laughs> His Royal Highness, the Duke of Edinburgh, has died. <laughs> Doing it twice is so funny. Anyway, Liam, how do you feel about this? How do I feel about uh, the Duke of Edinburgh dying? <laughs> I it, guess. It, I don't it, know. It, it hit me harder the second time, I gotta tell you. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug in his honor? Uh, yeah, I got, I got a film writing alter ego. Um, 
just <laughs> imagine like when the Duke of Edinburgh <laughs> dies. I like put out a tweet. I'm like, yeah, really sorry to hear about the Duke. I've I've got a I've got a film writing alter ego, by the way. Graham the Haunted Marshmallow on Twitter and Letterboxd. The username is Graham the Mallow. Um, you can find what I've rated the Blob nineteen eighty eight. Um, if you're really quick. Oh, yeah, or if you're really, uh, I'll take it off. And if you're really late, you'll also see what I've rated it because by then I'll have updated my rating again. I like to, I remove my rating before we talk about a movie on the podcast and then I update it after the movie is out just in case there's anyone sneaky out there. Understandable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to two other podcasts that I do because this is all I know how to do is talking to microphones. Um, one of them is uh, Mortal... Nope. That's not what it is. One of them is about Mortal Kombat. It's called MK PodQuest. It's with our friend Neil. And uh, we're working through commentaries of Mortal Kombat Conquest, the TV show, and doing some comics and some books and whatnot. That's MK PodQuest. And uh, my F1 podcast is finally starting to get some new episodes ready. That's with our friend Callum. Uh, it is Strat2. It's at Strat2F1 on the internet. And... Um, with all that out of the way, thank you once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at TMAOPodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and fan art of the blob. Yeah. Dang. I'm not done yet. <laughs> Too early. Uh, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dixon. You can find it on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all of that out of the way, that's where I usually say it. Um, we'll catch you here next time for The Blob. Um, they made another one. Uh-huh.